This is the Stoppage Time Podcast from WEGL 91.1, giving you the latest on all the big talking points from the Premier League and the Champions League. Hello and welcome to another episode of Stoppage Time. I'm your host, Chris Basinger, and joining me in the studio today is Harrison Schooler. Harrison, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well, Chris. How about yourself? I'm chugging along, as always. And Andy Healing. Andy, how are you doing on this fine evening? I'm limping into the studio, but hey, you know what? We're here. Well, Andy, cry me a river. Uh, This weekend, the big game, Manchester City versus Manchester United. United, of course, put an end to City's unbeaten run. City fell short of surpassing Bayern Munich as the longest win streak in the top flight. Um, Harrison, I'm going to start with you. Uh, United had eight shots, but they were all high-probability shots. Is it fair to say this was their plan to uh, counter City? I would say that they weren't looking to concede too much of the ball, but they got that goal within the first minute, so that really changed the dynamic of the game because you can see from the start, you give the ball to Lindelof and he hoofs it forward, and they're looking to attack. It comes off a throw-in. Martial's able to sneak free, and Jesus commits a bad foul, so that just changes the whole flow of the game. Guardiola even said that. And, yeah, it suited them. To go one goal up like that, a a team that can break the way they do, it absolutely suited them. I thought you saw some great tactics from Ole with the way he deployed Fred and McTominay a little bit wide apart from each other to cover some channels and spaces. And it was not a pretty performance from the likes of Gundogan and De Bruyne, but I think that they were nullified by the tactical setup. Yeah, there was an early penalty from Bruno Fernandez scoring – Ederson just got a touch to it, but it was too much for him. Uh, Luke Shaw later on putting it past him in the 50th minute. Game ended 2-0. Andy, City had 23 shots in this game, but I believe only a single shot was above a .01 XG. Uh, Is it fair to say that United neutralized City's ability to score? They did. They set back, and City just... I mean, Chris, you know, we, we talked about it when we were actually watching the games is that it seems like it feels like City and Liverpool kind of just throw it in the mixer and hope for, you know, that someone's going to score. And it seems more often that City's doing that more and more, whereas, you know, they were scoring good team goals a couple weeks ago in their route to this 21-game win streak. But I've noticed, especially the West Ham game, you saw two center backs score – and then it kind of made you think, well, maybe City can just score with everyone. But now it's starting to be like, can City score at all against a team that has a good defensive shape? And I think West Ham and Manchester United may have exposed that. And it kind of worries me just a little bit going into the future. Yeah, I think that it was, it's a tough setup to perfect because you have to ride your luck at times with City, as United did. I mean, there were great chances uh, – the um, the typical Sterling miss from in front of goal had to happen, but, you know, that was a good quality chance that I, I believe Cancelo crossed in. And, yeah, just I think this is a tough time because this is in the middle of the Champions League. Teams are going to be watching City that have to play them, and I think that they're going to see this as a route to beating them. And to be honest, not a lot of teams in Europe are suited to possess the ball more than City in games anyway, so this, this can just be an added help. Now, Foden did start the game on the bench. Gundogan and De Bruyne shared the same field. We saw Gundogan earlier in the season uh, in in the past few months 
filling in for De Bruyne and being extremely successful in that role. Um, Andy, what was Pep's angle going into this game? I know we've talked about him trying to overthink these bigger games and that maybe being a flaw of his, but where do you see him going wrong in this sort of matchup? Well, I mean, I don't think he necessarily got it wrong in this game particularly. I think really the credit does go to Manchester United, but I, I think one thing that is always a running theme in some of these key losses that City have taken is the counterattack. And Harrison mentioned it. Uh, United was on the break, and they burned us twice. And now one of them was a dumb foul from Gabriel Jesus, which he, he had no business being back there. There was not a threat for Bruno Fernandez to score there. Don't know what's going on. And he makes a very bad tackle in the box. That was just inexcusable. And then the second goal was a great breakaway. And Cancelo got beat early. Luke Shaw runs down the wing, gets into a spot for for a shot, and scores. And, you know, it just it was really good. And offensively, I think City's problem, again, I just go back to the high press and – it just didn't work. It was they couldn't break him down. They couldn't wear him out, and that's I mean they paid for it on the break. Yeah, the the penalty was drawn by Martial, not Bruno, and that that brings me to my point that that I think for all the praise about Shaw, I think Martial was largely the most effective player in that game because he gave us the the relief of pressure that we needed. He was excellent in his hold up play. He had, a, he had a brilliant run where I believe Stones approached him from behind and he Cruyff turned into space and was able to give just a, a really nice 40-yard sprint with the ball just to relieve that pressure because it, it, City did have United pinned back for several in-game minutes at various points in the game, and you just those are those moments where I talk about riding your luck. And, you know, there are a lot of plaudits to hand out from this game, uh, such as since the turn of the year, there's... Bruno and Luke Shaw with the most created chances in the league. Mason Mount just in between the two of them. Um, this is the 22nd unbeaten game in a row for United on the road. This is Dean Henderson's fifth consecutive clean sheet. And Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is one of the few managers in the world with a winning record against Pep Guardiola. I just think that a lot of things came into play this game in United's favor and that Luke Shaw is at the moment, the best, most effective left back in the league. Uh, you mentioned that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is one of the few managers to have a winning record against Pep Guardiola. Uh, and I, I can't help but think about Gus Malzahn's record against Nick Saban in that same situation. Is it fair to compare the two? Uh, I would say no, because we uh, went away from home. Oh, interesting, interesting. Whoa. Well, of course, City did have the advantage Whoa. because they've been playing without fans for the past 10 seasons. But And Old Trashford, though, very easy place to go win, though. Things are getting heated on the podcast, folks. We're going to move on. Chelsea 2, Everton 0. Uh, Kai Havertz avoided scoring a goal by blasting the ball off Ben Godfrey uh, to get it past Jordan Pickford. And then Jorginho scored a penalty later on after Jordan Pickford came out wildly, as per the usual, and slid into Kai Havertz. Um, Harrison, without Hamas and Decore, Everton just looked sluggish. Well, I would say that without Decore, they looked sluggish. Without Hamas, they didn't look dangerous. I don't think Sigurdsson finds the same positions. He's capable of similar kind of 
the passing ranges, but he just wasn't, he's not that player. He's not James, and they, they did lack those two, and that was critical because there were moments where they couldn't find that penetrating pass. It was, can you can you find Calvert-Lewin to, to nick on a header to uh, Richarlison? And they just didn't have those moments, and the opportunities were few and far between because of how well set up Tuchel has made his Chelsea teams. I mean, they were excellent. Um they carved out a few good chances. They found good spaces. I thought Callum Hudson-Odoi had a, a good game. I thought Kai Havertz was excellent. That might have been his best performance in a Chelsea shirt since he's gotten there. I'm not I'm not entirely too sure, but I, I think so. And, yeah, I just think Tuchel has really changed the mindset in this team. They're functioning at a high level. They can win without Mason Mount on the field. And, uh, yeah, it was a good performance. Yeah, you mentioned that uh, the team struggled to link up with Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin. Uh, a stat that I'm reading right here says that while Chelsea had six deep passes, which means within, I believe, 20 yards of the goal, uh, passes that were completed within that range, while Chelsea had six, Everton had zero over the entire course of the game, uh, a .27 XG for Everton, um, just uh, an, an overall challenging game for the Toffees. But uh, I do want to talk about Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea still unbeaten under Thomas Tuchel. Uh, Andy, does that mean that Tuchel is just absolutely brilliant and all of the ideology that he's brought over from Dorman and PSG is sinking deep into uh, the minds of the Chelsea players or that Frank Lampard was just extremely ineffective? I think a little bit of both. I would say Chelsea have talent and I'm not going to disregard, you know, the people that they bought because... I know we talked about you know Lampard spending you know three hundred plus million on a bunch of guys who didn't do anything, but you have to to you know kind of give Tuchel credit. He's turned the, this team that was completely lost into a team that can they can do their job now. Obviously, they haven't played like the the best opponents uh, in the Premier League yet. I would like to see them. I mean, they have played United and they they haven't played City yet. They haven't played uh, you know all the teams in the at least the top half of the table. And I think this win against Everton was great. I mean, Everton is up there fighting for Champions League. Uh, but I would like to see a little bit more uh, results coming their way. But, I mean, I think it's very positive from where they were with Lampard. Yeah, I think, I think like I said, um, let's not throw everything on Lampard's shoulders. We're very aware that they operate on a, a financial basis at Chelsea and everything is done by Maria Granoskaya and that those players were just handed down to him, albeit he was very adamant about picking up Ben Chilwell. I just don't think that he necessarily had the correct tactics at times. I think his attack was a bit free flow, to, to say the least, and everything else lacked a bit of organization. He found slightly more solidity at the back, but Tuchel has come in, and he has carved out an idea and a plan that is successful. They have four consecutive clean sheets now, this is just a team that's functioning with a good understanding of what they knew, what they need to do at the back to be successful going forward, and they just lack a little bit of cutting edge. And Mason Mount is their their best at that, at that, at being that cutting edge because Kai Havertz hasn't found his rhythm. Timo Werner operates better in lots of space, which he's not being afforded in many games, and his link-up play is is largely um, poor. I just think that when they have Giroud in there with Mason Mount, that might be their most effective going forward. And in a game like t- today, 
Um, you just uh, you got uh, you got lucky with the wider spaces being afforded to them by the fullbacks having to get higher because the Everton just didn't have creativity through the middle. Yeah, we have seen uh, Tuchel's impact on this team with players like Christensen, Zuma, Marcus Alonso making comebacks uh, and, and performing quite well in this team. Uh, but that means that some players are going to have to spend a bit more time on the bench. And one of those players, and of course we're going to talk about him, uh, is Christian Pulisic. He misses out again. Thomas Tuchel has a history of not playing the American, saying instead that he trains really hard, which is a compliment to him, but by not playing him might show something else. Uh, now, there has been talk about him potentially leaving this summer. Um, do we think that's possible? Where does he go? Back to Germany? I think he fights for a spot. He's got that bit about him. He's not. He's going to sink his teeth in and try and do his best. I don't think it's right to say that he needs to go immediately. I think it just needs time. He's a guy who suffers from lack of fitness, and a guy is most valuable when he's fit. He is an excellent player. He's extremely dynamic. He can create something out of nothing. But if Tuchel doesn't think that his high-intensity style can suit Pulisic or that there's a little too much structure or organization to have a player like Pulisic who is he's not a maverick but at times he can be and he can have those moments where he is uh, maybe not tracking back as much he might be positionally in the wrong spot but he brings that extra little bit and I personally think that that's Tuchel's that's Tuchel's thought and that's why he's more effective in a 20 minute to 10 to 15 minute cameo moving on Jurgen Klopp is still breaking records at Liverpool. He came to Liverpool to win trophies and break records, and he's continuing to do so. For the first time in Liverpool's history, they have had six consecutive home defeats at Anfield. Uh, Andy, I- I've seen it. I've said just enough, uh, just about enough about this team. They look completely demoralized. Yeah, um, I would say at this point. Now that Fulham has gone into Anfield and beaten Liverpool, it it's honestly hard to believe because I I thought you know with the lineup changes that Klopp made, I thought you know maybe Jada being back with Salah uh, that could be you know maybe a little bit of a boost for them to give them a little something different, but it it didn't happen and Fulham got a really good goal from Lamina. He just poached it away from. Sala as he was trying to clear it, and then he put in a brilliant shot. I thought Fulham defended well, and Liverpool were unlucky, honestly, to get a goal. It just seemed like everything Ariola was getting to it, and that one save from that stunning volley from Jada was incredible from Ariola, and he was honestly the hero in the game. It honestly could have been one-one. Heck, it could have been two. One to Liverpool by the end of that with all those chances that they had that they just didn't take and capitalize. Yeah, I, I thought it was, a, it was a really interesting lineup that we got from Liverpool. Uh, Nico Williams starting right back over Trent Alexander-Arnold. Nat Phillips and Reese Williams starting, uh, I believe, Kabak took a knock in training. Uh, Fabinho still isn't 100%. He only just came back from injury. Uh, ben Davies also took a knock. So this team really can't get any breaks at the moment. But even so, we've seen the same story over the past two months, Harrison. Yeah, we have. They are lacking that cutting edge in front of goal at the moment, and it is it is just glaring that Sadio Mane might be in the worst form that he's been in since he arrived at Liverpool, and I think that is absolutely 
brutal at this time because they're just so dysfunctional. I mean, they have nine errors leading to goals this season. That's They're not helping themselves. And I just think that if nothing can come from the front three, this team is just going to keep falling down the table because they can't keep a clean sheet. They can't keep the ball from going in their net, even with Allison and goal. It's just, it's it's difficult. You can have a world-class goalkeeper. I've seen it with Chris Smalling and Phil Jones being stood in front of David De Gea. It's, it's still very difficult to keep a clean sheet in those situations, and that's the biggest problem for Liverpool at the moment. They need to at least be taking one point from some of these games, and they can't even take that. So that leads me to ask you this. Liverpool are presumably, if things keep rolling this way, going to have a very strict tight budget and if they had to improve at one area in the field specifically where would that be well let's let's put it into context so um we imagine that after the summer the whole team comes back healthy you have Virgil van Dyke, you have Jordan Henderson you have Fabinho starting consistently and you've Je- lost Jeannie Wijnaldum you've lost Jeannie Wijnaldum potentially other players have gone uh, the ones that come to mind immediately are Divock Origi, Shakiri, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, and then some of the uh, Academy products and Loney's. So Marco Grich, Harry Wilson, Ben Woodburn, those guys. So although it seems like Liverpool aren't going to finish in the top four for the time being, Michael Edwards can still make a penny or two out of some of these players. Is it going to be enough to buy Holland? Probably not. But that's the kind of player that Liverpool need right now. Uh, a striker who can score goals, a Lewandowski type, who you can rely on when the other two of the front three, Salah and Mane, aren't scoring. The The key to Liverpool's success last season and the season before was that when one of those three would drop in form, the other two would be able to pick up the slack because you don't get a lot of goals coming from the midfield. Right, Fabinho would have a screamer or two. Jordan Henderson, maybe a header. Genie Wijnaldum scoring three or four over the entire season. You're mainly relying on your center backs to score headers on corners. And we've seen a big, big, big drop-off with the losses of uh, Joel Matip and Virgil van Dijk. I I don't think Liverpool have scored a goal off of a corner kick since the Firmino winner against Tottenham um, back in 2020. So uh, having a, a player that you can consistently rely on to score goals up at the top is it's going to be the biggest thing for Liverpool. And I know that there have already been articles that have come out about that and everything, um, but we, we've seen this drop in form in Roberto Firmino, and he is essential to the team working when everyone is fit on the pitch and Klopp knows that they're going to play in the style that they can play in, right, because he allows that link-up play. He draws the defenders back to open up space for the wingers to come in but you need to have you need to be clinical in that position too you can't just rely be relied on for that you need to be able to score goals and we've seen his number of goals dropping consistently over the past few seasons Firmino as well underperforming his xg this season by four or five i believe uh yeah somewhere around that just about just about uh moving on Xhaka put on quite the performance in the Arsenal game. Arsenal drew 1-1 with Burnley. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang scored, getting it just past Nick Pope's hand. Perhaps a a bit unlucky um, from Nick Pope not to save that. 
but then Jacka in his own box. Um, what was he thinking? Let's hold on here. All right, yeah. let's not go crazy. All right. They operate on the idea that nine times out of ten, that is going to lead to them being more successful in getting the ball up the field. That is a risk they're willing to take. They have calculated that. They have accepted that. And you know what? They went through with it, and that was that one out of ten times. That one out of ten times, it just ricochets right into their goal, and there you are. You have your your one-to-one, and they just lacked being clinical in front of goal again. They hit the crossbar or the post three times in the last 10 to 15 minutes. I I couldn't really understand some of the misses there. Pepe, I believe, swung and missed on a ball rolling in front of him right in front of the six-yard box, and... They need somebody to be finishing those kinds of goals. Th- to be honest, their best finisher in those kinds of situations is probably Lacazette because you got the goal that everybody likes. You got your goal of Aubameyang coming in off the left, cutting in on his right, and going. That's what they want. That's what a lot of their movement is designed, to open that space up for him. And they just they're very reliant on Saka at times, who who is excellent. And Thomas Partey is a brilliant player, but... You're right, Shaka is at fault for the goal, but he's also just, I know he's a figure that Arsenal have kind of had their ups and downs with. I mean, there was the whole throwing the kit down and that big ordeal, and now he's back in the rotation, and he's a pretty consistent player in the lineup, but he's not good enough. He's not good enough for the club. He's just not. They don't have a good enough partnership at center half. This is a growing process. I've said it a million times. I just don't want to go crazy over it on a week-to-week basis because this is something that I have seen myself watching United. It's just a tough time that you have to ride out, hope that you can be better in big moments and get those results that keep you pushing on and believing. Because if things do go stale for long enough, I don't care who you are, you, you especially at Arsenal, you're going to have the plug pulled at some point on you and you're going to have to get out and you're going to be gone. But Arteta shows a great structure, shows a lot of charisma. His players, as far as we know, buy into everything he says. They love him. You've seen the celebrations when they have one with him. They were great. And, yeah, if if occasionally they have to settle for a 1-1 draw because Shaka just darted the ball into somebody and it went in, then that's going to happen. But they should have won that game. I know Chris Wood had an absolutely excellent shot that was um, saved by Leno. But Arsenal should have been 3-1, 3-2 even if, they, if Wood had scored that goal. Um and I, I just don't think there's any reason to uh, continue a panic or anything. I, I do think that it is a bit ironic. You mentioned that 9 out of 10, it's it's going to work for Arsenal. On that 1 out of 10 time, it is Burnley who are the ones who are pressing high into Arsenal's box. Um, Andy, do you agree? Tough, tough game for Arsenal. Yeah, I think they were a little unlucky not to win that game. But I, I have to go back and and look at some of that game because, you know, I I watched the highlights. I I didn't wake up and watch it. But, you know, from all the the chances that they had, you know, I think Harrison's right. they got to have someone who can put those away. It just seems like they've got the talent out there. They're just not finishing. And I think one guy is Lacazette who was really informed at the start of the season, but he seemed to have dropped off a little bit. Now, Aubameyang has kind of helped out in the last couple games since he returned, but Lacazette's the guy that can put those kind of balls away, like, you know, the ricocheting around in the penalty spot. I mean, you got to finish that stuff. You have to finish it. 
and they just didn't. And they were really, it was really unfortunate for Arsenal that they didn't win that game. And Chris made the note that Burnley is pressing high. I think, and this this is just something I've noticed watching Arsenal over the season. I think teams are starting to take their chances on Leno. I think they think he's not he's not trusting of the guys in front of him, or maybe he's uncertain of his own ability at his feet. But I've I've noticed that if in a game they're not pressing him high enough, teams will adjust to that in the second half because they see that uncertainty, those moments where he might just dribble the ball into you or might just fling the ball into someone on your team. I, I don't know. I think that's something that teams have eyed out because it is interesting that Burnley are that will, high up the field. I will point out City did a lot of that against Arsenal. I that know. was what I picked up on. They did it deliberately a lot more at a certain point in that game. They noticed that he was hesitant because at times teams want to be more organized and they want to make sure that Leno can't even find that open spot. But they're, they're so certain that he could screw up, they're going to go straight to him and not cut off the lanes. To be fair, the, the two center backs that were in front of Leno were – uh, Mari and yes. Champions League winner David Luiz. Right. So maybe that has so you to can, go along with You can with understand it, yeah. some uncertainty there at times because mm-hmm. he doesn't. And and to be fair, even um, I don't remember who started on the right, but it wasn't Bayern who you might actually be. It was be. Chambers. Yeah. yeah. So you don't have a good option on the outlet on that side of the field. Very true, very true. Uh, David, unfortunately, is not here tonight. Uh, he's back in Pennsylvania. Uh so we're going to try and do him justice by talking about Spurs this week because they had a very dominant game, 4-1 to one win. Gareth Bale, two goals. Harry Kane, two goals. Three big wins in a row for Mourinho leading up to uh, the North London Derby, perhaps the biggest game of Arsenal season and Tottenham season, at least in the league so far. Um, Andy, is it fair to say that Gareth Bale fully fit uh, if he's able to sustain this form, what does it mean for Spurs in maybe the league or perhaps even the Europa League? I said it last week. I really, really, truly think that Gareth Bale, Harry Kane, and Yoon Min Sun is a dangerous, dangerous combination when they're fully fit. I mean, you saw it these last couple games. Gareth Bale is score, starting to score, and he's starting to score more freely. And I know we were like, oh, hold up, hold up, hold up. You know, it's just it's just Burnley. It's just Crystal Palace now, and, like, they haven't played anyone good. But I guarantee you, if they win the North London Derby and Bale is on the score sheet or at least provides an assist or the front three for them go off in that game, I'm telling you, it's going to be dangerous for for all teams next year because Mourinho is going to use that to his advantage. I think Gareth Bale is starting to find himself a place in the starting lineup. I still think it's early, but we'll see what happens in the North London Derby. And then if Bale continues his good form, I think he's going to have a spot. Yeah, I think that Andy's actually very spot on there. And, I mean – the one thing that I really just want to point out is just how critical Harry Kane is because I know everyone's talking about Bale because it brings back the good feelings, and that's great. But Harry Kane has been involved in 28 goals this season. Uh, that's more than any other player, and he's absolutely in unbelievable form when he's on the field. He's been on the field more often than not this season too, which is absolutely brilliant because they're so reliant on him. And I think at the moment, with all this momentum they're gaining – 
if this keeps coming up, you might have a bit of an issue with Mourinho deciding on whether to cut ties with the Europa League or not, because that's what he did with his time with United in his very first season. He was unsure, and then eventually towards, uh, I believe, April, he started to not directly say it, because you would never do that as a manager, but kind of let everyone know that the Europa League is the biggest thing, and you would see it in his lineup selection and, and whatnot. And there may, be, there may be a point within the next month or two that he decides that Carlos Vinicius needs to start instead of Harry Kane, and Gareth Bale won't start alongside anybody, and it'll just be Lucas Moura and maybe Son and Carlos Vinicius and other players of the second string. And, yeah, the biggest priority should be to make sure that Kane stays on the field. I will say also, Harry Kane's goal against Crystal Palace, that's uh, brilliant. brilliant. Oh, oh, unbelievable. The technique on that was absolutely breathtaking. I've never seen Swerve and the curve that he put on that from an angle. With all that power. Yeah, with mm. the power. And I've never seen from an angle like that. It was just impressive. I think we saw something similar from Bruno against uh, Everton in a 2-2 draw, but anyway. Yeah, anyway is correct. Uh, <laughs> Tottenham uh, will be facing off against Dynamo Zagreb uh, in their next round of Europa League fixture, so maybe that's when we'll start seeing whether Jose focuses his gaze on uh, the Europa League. But we are going to go around the horn real quick into all the other games that happened during the weekend, Southampton beat Sheffield United 2-0 in their first league win since beating Liverpool on January 4th. James Ward-Prowse scored a penalty in the 32nd minute, and Che Adams followed up by scoring in the 49th. Uh, Aston Villa drew Wolves 0-0. Teams had combined three shots on target. Would have been better to watch paint dry. Uh, Leicester City had a comeback win against Brighton. Premier League champion Adam Lallana scored early on for the Seagulls, but leg strikes for me and Acho and Amari's assist in that game was absolutely brilliant. The the angle where it's behind and you can see the defender sliding in to try and nick the pass from Ian Nacho, it was it was excellent. Steve Bruce's new tactics were unsuccessful against West Brom, drawing no nil. And finally, West Ham had a commanding win against Leeds United. Jesse Lingard drew a penalty and scored on the follow-up after Melier saved the initial shot and Craig Dawson scored a free header um, on a Cresswell corner to put the hammers up 2-0. So only Man City have managed more points in 2021 than West Ham. Declan Rice is the most consistent player outside of the top six. I will say that to I'm certain about that. Um, He is going to be consistently improving Jesse Lingard is reignited. And Aaron Cresswell has the most assists from a defender in the league with seven. And this team is just so efficient in front of goal at the moment. And they're just riding high. And you love to see it because they they deal with threats of all kinds. Andy talked about it. He felt that City weren't at times good enough to beat West Ham's setup. But they were. They, they scored off low XG goals, but they scored nonetheless. But you could see the function there, that they were effective in their defending. And they have been most of the season. And I just think it's really impressive whatever, what everything that David Moyes has managed to do, the players that he's turned into incredibly consistent performers, Suchek, Cresswell, Rice, Lingard, Antonio, all of them. They've been great. And, folks, I'm calling it now. West Ham United is getting that Champions League spot. I've said it from since you asked me, but they're getting that Champions League spot. 
I'm telling you now. Uh, West Ham do have three wins in their last five games and are currently in fifth place, just two points outside the top four uh, behind Chelsea in fourth place. Uh, Quickly going through the Champions League matches on Tuesday, we have Juventus versus Porto. Of course, Porto is up two to one in that game. Uh, Dortmund plays Sevilla. Dortmund are up three to two on aggregate. I think that's a game to watch. I know that we were really freaked out by the fact that Dortmund kind of scored with ease for those three goals, but Sevilla just lost at the weekend. They rested most of their starters, and they have fully prepared to come into this game, guns blazing, and looking to win this tie. And they've been in a rough patch, and this might be a time to turn it around. Yeah, Sevilla did have some difficulties in uh, the Copa del Rey, I believe. Uh, earlier on, yeah. See, yes. that's that's where that's where the real points got hit home was mm-hmm. that losing the Barcelona the way they did. We saw Ocampos just has to hit that penalty, and the game is completely different. And I mean, that had to have been brutal to lose an extra time to a team that you had been comfortably in the lead from. You go away from your tactics when you go to their place, and you lose. And then to lose to Elche over the weekend, I mean, maybe it's not as demoralizing because Lopetegui changed his lineup so much, but it, it's just not been a good run. I, I, I believe in their last seven, they have one win. And then Wednesday, PSG face off against Barcelona. PSG dominated the first leg, beating Barcelona 4-1. to And Liverpool host Red Bull Leipzig. Liverpool won the first game 2-0 uh, in Budapest, um, but Liverpool hosting the draw. Um, we'll have to see if they can actually get a home win. Um, predictions for this week. Uh, Andy, you picked last week Sheffield United and West Brom, which only saw you get one point. Harrison, you picked Liverpool. How unfortunate. And Aston Villa, which saw you only get one point. David had uh, his second best week to date uh, with two points. And I got four points with one from Aston Villa and three from Tottenham. So going into this week, I'm currently in the lead with 15 points. Andy and Harrison are tied both with eight. And David is coming up on them with seven points. So, uh, Andy, what are your predictions for this week? So my first prediction, i got to maximize my points here. So I'm going to go with my own team, Manchester City, to go into Craven Cottage, where the Premier League title will go through, uh, as I always say about Craven Cottage. And they will get the win, and it will not be – I don't think it will be an easy game because Fulham are still fighting to get out, but I think City will win. And then I am going to go with – West Ham United over Manchester United. It's not because it's not anything, That's a bold choice. It's not anything personal, but you know what? I predicted West Ham United well, to considering uh, that Pogba was the biggest difference in beating them back in December, I don't think that's necessarily a bold choice because that game was largely won due to individual brilliance. Yes. So, back to my point, uh not anything personal, but I think West Ham United will get the win. But you wouldn't be remiss if Manchester United lost. Oh, no. <laughs> All right. Uh, Harrison, on to you. I will be taking Leicester City to beat Sheffield United. And I'm looking for Palace to get me a result over West Brom. I don't think that's too much to ask. Yeah, we shall see. Uh, David 
also picked Crystal Palace over West Brom, and he selected Aston Villa over Newcastle. I am not making any... uh, These are all going to be easy predictions for me, folks, this week. Uh, Leicester City over Sheffield United and Manchester City coming back and beating Fulham. Uh, Two big teams against two bottom-of-the-table teams. Um, You guys, look at you. Counting off Scott Parker's team like that. Despicable. Hey, I don't count off Scott Parker's dress style. No, I, I think Dress that's style. <laughs> he's got a he great an excellently. He's a, an excellently dressed manager, but come on. He just got a result. Ah, I'm kidding. Everybody gets results at Anfield right now. Yeah, they do. Exactly. Yeah, they do. The past six teams, Burnley, yeah, yeah. Brighton have gotten results but there. With a lot of energy, it looks good. I mean, I'm even City got a result there, and they lost that last week. Uh, but anyway, folks, that'll do it for us this week. Uh, we'll catch you on the pod next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Stoppage Time. You can follow us on Instagram at stoppagetime91.1 for news, updates, and more. Be sure to tune in next week for another great episode on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts.